This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi there, and welcome to Grief is My Superpower. I'm Mark Lemon, award-winning children's author, bereavement ambassador, and your host for this podcast. Each week, I'll be interviewing incredible people that get open and honest about their own experience with grief. When I was 12 years old, my dad was murdered, and my life changed forever. I try to explore with my guests if it's possible to live a happy and fulfilled life after the death of a loved one. You can find me as Mark Lemon Official on Instagram and at the Lemon Drop Books website. For this episode, I speak with wife, mum, and family content creator, Ola Pelavangi. Ola speaks to me about the death of her mum and how it shaped her outlook on life. You can find Ola on Instagram and Twitter as Ola Pella. Please don't forget to subscribe and leave a comment wherever you're listening to this podcast. By doing this, it will help us to reach more people in need of support at a tough time. This podcast is in support of children's bereavement charity, Winston's Wish. Okay, so as mentioned in my introduction, today I'm speaking with someone that I recently discovered through social media and Simone and I both love their channel and love their Instagram and love watching all their TikToks and all of these, you know, it's uplifting. Um, But I recently discovered this lovely lady through um, an Instagram live that she did um, or an Instagram IGTV talking about the effects of Mother's Day and everything that she said resonated with me and it, and it clicked and I thought, you know, it'd be great to have a conversation for the podcast and it's Ola Pelavangu. How are you? Hiya, thanks for having me on, Mark. How are you? I'm okay. I'm not too bad. Um, it's Monday morning here and <laughs> as of every episode, we are in our respective homes due to lockdown and the bin truck has just gone past, um, emptying all the bins and I was just like, please carry on don't hang around making noise in the background but you know that that's just the way things are <laughs> yeah i think everybody understands it now if you haven't had something happen during a zoom or on a virtual thing or been told to unmute yourself and been speaking for ages have you even been in lockdown no i don't think so <laughs> no, no 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 definitely not um but for the listeners would you be able to just um give them the brief introduction as to who you are and what you do please Hi guys, I am Ola Pelavangu. So I am a mum of three. Um, I always say three, but we have a puppy, a gorgeous puppy, Huey, as well, who is six months and uh, married to um, my best friend, Darcy. 
And yeah, we live in London and we have been in London, yeah, forever. Um, but what else what else about me? I mean, I'm a full-time content creator, but previously I used to be head of beauty and tech for brand partnerships at TikTok. Um, so my background is in media. Before that, I was head of brand partnerships at Global Media, so across Capital, Capital Extra, Heart, and just looking after um, beauty, tech and fashion partnerships on the radio station. So We've only recently made that transition into social media full-time last year, November, November 2020. Um, so I don't even think we've been doing it full-time for six months yet. But we love a dance, we love a TikTok, and we are on social known as TikTok in plantain loving family as we have plantain with every dish, nearly every dish anyway, apart from pounded jam. Um, and that's been where a lot of um, our content comes from. There's always a dance, there's always music involved and we just love sharing our journey with people as a black family in the UK. And it's more like education through visibility, just bringing people into our lives. And we're so thankful for the support and the encouragement that even through every pregnancy, we've had like an, a loyal family on social that have just kind of like been cheering us on from the beginning. And I think that's it. <laughs> yeah, no, and I was going to say that, I think that's just why people love you because, you know, it's like honesty. And, um, and I think there's a learning there as well, isn't it, for, for people, but... Um, you know, obviously today we're here to talk about the uh, the subject of grief. And I was just wondering whether you could give the listeners just a bit of background about your own experience with grief, please. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yes. So, um, I mean, it's always a tough one and you never know where to start. But um, yeah, in, no, in 2017, I was, I think I was a couple of months from having my second child, Micah Remy. Um, quite heavily pregnant. Um, that was when my mum passed away um, and she wasn't ill. Um, I'd got a call that morning because it was going to be my birthday the next day and she'd had Maya over to sleep over and she was like, take your time. You can just have a sleep in. I think I was recording a YouTube video, like a pregnancy beauty tutorial. And she was like, you don't want Maya in the background. Just take your time, come and pick her up after church. Got another call a few hours later from my dad saying, can you go around to our house and pick up some clothes? Because your mum's had to go to the hospital. She's got a bit of back pain. So, but it didn't sound as if it was urgent. So my dad was like, just take your time, come when you can. And I think at this point, nobody thought six hours later, we'd be at the position where we were getting a phone call saying that we'd lost her. So, um, yeah, it was uh, what she passed away, what? of was a um, underlying blood condition called thrombocytopenic pupura, TTP for short. And it affects, it affects um, six in one million people and um, something to do with your white blood cells. It is to do with your white blood cells and just it being depleted at a rapid level to the point where your systems start to shut down. And that was where the back pain had come from that day. It was, it'd gone unnoticed all her life. She actually passed away in the hospital where she worked. Um, and 
yeah, it was a massive shock. It was a huge shock. Uh, I managed to get into the hospital to see her um, and she was putting on a brave face. And I, I mean, I've known her all my life and I could tell. And every time I turn around to grab a tissue or to, because Maya was still there at that point, I could see her face would drop. But as soon as I turned back around to look at her, she'd try and put a smile on. So when my mum's doing that, I know she's trying to protect me. And she was like, I need you to go home. I'll see you in the morning. So I spent about an hour there. And at this point, she was throwing up. And I was like, no, I'm going to stay. And she's like, you're heavily pregnant. So I got, grabbed her hand and I put it on my belly. And at this point, she'd never felt um, my ba- the baby move. And it was just the biggest kicks. And she, like, we both were in, like, really emotional. And she was like, okay, see, now I felt him. You can go to you can go home and I'll see you in the morning. And it just kind of gave me a little bit of peace, the fact that she had felt him. And I didn't think that, oh, it was the last time ever. We'd named him together. He was going to be called Micah John. He's now called Micah Remy. Remy was my mum's name. Um, and John was my granddad's name. So we said he was going to be called MJ for short. And for me, it was like, yeah, I'll see her in the morning. I hadn't been home, I'd probably say about 20 minutes. And I just felt really uneasy. And I came in, sat down. And my phone rang and I was in the kitchen as I picked up this phone and it was a chaplain and my dad's a, my dad's a chaplain as well in the same hospital, but obviously he couldn't call and it was another chaplain on duty. And they said, we've lost her. And I just kind of thought those words don't make sense because there was no one to lose because there was no one at the point to be lost, you know, like it's all that I felt like there was no warning. It was like, what do you mean you've lost her? You know, that doesn't make sense. And I just literally collapsed to the floor and my husband came down at the time and I was hysterical. I was absolutely broken. I was like, I don't get it. And it still felt like a dream. And it was in an old house. And I was like, but it doesn't make sense. What do you mean you've lost her? Like, I don't get it. So I actually drove back. And how I drove back, I don't know. I drove back, I got in the car, I parked up and at this point, I think I was still in a huge state of denial because I was used to driving to the same hospital to picking her up from work. So it was like, no, 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 this can't be parked in the same place. Walked in and yeah, I saw my dad and my brother, my younger brother, who was 15 at the time, walking down the corridor and he was breaking down. And my dad was like trying his best to hold it together. And I feel like it hit home. And I just want, until I saw her, I feel like I still didn't believe it was real. And even when they did let me go and see her and I saw all the notes on the wall from when she went into, um, what's the word? I think when she flatlined and then when they tried to save her and how long they tried for, I think I still felt like, no, this can't be real. Cause she just looked like she was sleeping, like she was sleeping. She was still warm. And, um, at that point, and I just remember standing there and a baby was going crazy inside, like kicking really hard. And I hadn't felt that much movement in so long. And I'd been worried. And I just thought, it, it, it can't happen. Like, And I think I was lay there with her holding her hand for so long. And they gave me her handbag. And it just, I think even now, you just feel like it's the worst thing. When we were going to have this um podcast recording it's funny because I still feel like when you feel like okay yes I'm stronger than this now I'm I'm stronger at telling the story and I don't think you can ever retell the story or ever relive it in your head without going through the same emotions and that's what grief is 
it stays there because at the point of your life, I feel like every, everything changes and people think about, oh, I want to go back to being, I think you'll never go back to being the person you were before. And the strength you build is probably stronger than that person who had never lost someone before. It's just, it just hurts. So I think I've given up trying to be, oh, I just want to be that person who's never felt pain before, who, who's never been affected by grief, but really just tapping into the strength that comes from the fact that every time I do go back into this place where I live it in my head, I can still take the steps to get me back to that place. That means, okay, I can still live every day. Firstly, I'm so sorry that uh, you guys had to go through that. And and thank you for sharing that with the listeners because it's never easy retelling the story, like you said. But, you know, for me, the strength comes through telling the story. You know, that is where your strength is because you're harnessing all that love, all those feelings, you know, when you're told that day. And, and, and it's a positive thing. I think it's kind of you know, it's why the podcast exists is because we're breaking that stigma and that taboo around, you know, having to keep that stiff upper lip of, you know, I am strong, <laughs> which, you, you know, you are strong, but in, in, in the way of just telling your story and, and, and what you said about when you find out that, that a loved one has died, you know, you, you do, you change as a person forever for the rest of your life. And, you know, your family and what you went through so suddenly, you know, is, it's just hugely traumatic and you know and 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 again i can resonate with that in terms of my dad and finding out one minute he's there and then he's gone you know immediately and um and and for anyone else out there who's listened who's experienced sort of sudden death in that in that way how did you find the sort of months following your mum's passing and um and i guess you know again having having the baby and processing all of that how, how did you find it I think that was the hardest part because in a few months, in a couple of months later, I knew that we were going to be in this state that we were expected to celebrate this new life. And I think the most painful part was because obviously um, I I've, I didn't see my mum get buried um, because she was buried in Nigeria. I mean, mum was born here, but um, somewhere or another, apparently it said in her will that she wanted to be buried in Nigeria um, which is where they just finished like a big family home and they'd been working on it for about six years. They'd literally just returned from about two months before. Oh, no, I think, no, they'd returned, sorry, two weeks before that. They'd been and finished the last stages of the house. And so she was flown over to Nigeria to be buried. So we had a, a service of songs, I believe it's called, where um, it was like a funeral, but obviously she was then taken back to the mortuary and then she was flown to Nigeria, which is where they had the official burial. And I think that's what really hurts, the fact that I feel like I didn't really have much closure. to the. I don't know how much of a difference it would have made, but obviously I wasn't given a fit to fly letter because I was heavily pregnant. And I think what hurt the most afterwards is finding out afterwards that she'd never said in her will she wanted to be buried in Nigeria. When I say to people that I feel robbed, I think it's that process, that ending part that I felt robbed of. Uh, yes, my mum was taken away, but even that till the end where I felt like I wasn't kind of given a proper goodbye or allowed to give her a proper goodbye because of miscommunication or maybe a deliberate attempt to kind of have my mum in Nigeria, that hurt. And then even till now, I can't go to a grave. I can't go anywhere to kind of say, oh, yeah, tell stories or speak out loud or take the kids to a grave. 
So I gave birth to Michael Remy and it was the most beautiful birth. It was a water birth and it was, oh gosh. And it was the most beautiful thing ever. So, but I was in this place where I didn't want anyone to hold him. I felt like this was a gift that I'd been given and I was just really quiet for months. I would hold him, people would say hi and stuff. People would come around. But for me, that was my safe space and that was my safe place. And that was the gift that I was left with. And I felt like it was an extension of my mum. And even till this day, Maya, who was quite young at the time, I think she was two and a half, she tells stories about my mum and she was like, do you remember when then we went to the hospital and Nanny told me that I could watch Peppa Pig and this and that? And I just felt like she had a really strong connection. She was the last person to spend the night with my mum and they slept in the same bed. Until today, she tells her brother's stories about my mum. So I think having children around me at that time really, really helped, especially Maya and having a new baby to feed and to care for. I didn't eat as much as I should have ate. I just kind of made sure that everybody should was fine. And yeah, I think health-wise, I just didn't really think about myself for ages. And yeah, it was, I feel like it was definitely hard. And I think only until probably about six, seven months afterwards that I stopped feeling guilty for having the occasional laugh. Do you know, I'd laugh and I'd be like, you can't laugh. You're, you watched your mum. Like, and I'd kind of really beat myself up for being happy. I felt like it was the wrong thing to do. And then I also felt like other people expected me to be sad. I didn't know when the cutoff was for that. And I think those emotions are kind of thinking, what do people expect me to do? How do I, what do I feel like I should be doing? What do these children need me to be for them right now? And uh, I think it's that mix of emotions that kind of puts you in that limbo when you just like, you just feel like you're just existing, but you're not really living. Um, yeah, that's too, it's tough, isn't it? The 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 mixed emotions that people can feel, and and that sort of uh, I must be sad um, mentality. I can't possibly, you know, laugh or be seen laughing, or you know, and it's just it's ridiculous because you know you, just because someone has died doesn't mean that every day you're going to be sad. You know, you're going to be crying, and you know, don't get me wrong, it'll come in waves, and it'll you know one day you'll be happy and the next day you won't but you know I think it's it's quite beautiful what you said about the, the kids being around you and you know Maya sort of retelling those stories and um and firstly wow you know from from the age that she was to have that sort of recollection and memory you know with your mum is amazing even till now even till now it's crazy and I think they are a gift and I think they are all sent at the right time. You know, some people feel like, when's the right time for a child? We never know. But I feel like there's always a purpose for what, when you're given a child. I remember getting pregnant and we were supposed to be getting married. And I was like, oh, gosh. And Maya, I was five months pregnant when we got married and having to change my wedding dress. And I was like, if only this had been just months afterwards and this and this. And this. But she was meant to come when she was, you know. We can't control things like that. I mean, we can. <laughs> we can. You know what I mean. You know, when things seem like they're not working to our timeline, I feel like there's a bigger timeline that means that things start falling into the places just because that there is a bigger, there's a journey ahead that those things are needed to be present for so that they can help you along that journey. And I think that's what Maya's been to us. She's an absolute blessing. Yeah, no, that's... That's an amazing way to look at it. Um, 
And I guess, you know, with, with motherhood, how do you think it's changed your outlook on that over the last few years? You know, has it kind of given you a slightly different perspective, um, the way that you view? I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's quite a big question, but how you view life and, um, you know, your general outlook. Yeah, see, do you know what? Um, massively. I mean, my mum was a hard worker, and I think I probably took that and times it by 10, where I would do, I do all-nighters, I still do occasionally. And she'd always say, you need to take a break. And I remember at her service of songs as well, her colleagues would be like, she'd sometimes miss lunch and let someone else go because they had an issue with a childcare or whatever. And she'd make sure everyone's had a cup of tea, but then everyone would be like, well, have you had a cup of tea? And she'd be like, no, I'll have one later. And I think like, although that's good, there's a level of self-care and living in the moment that I, I took from that with my mum. And so many times I think about if only I could have celebrated her a little bit more, treated her a little bit more, but she was always super, she's such a hard worker. She did everything for the family. And I think right now I've kind of taken that and know, I need to know when to switch off. I need to know when the children kind of say, mommy, let's go into the garden and let's pour water and just random things. I'll do it. And I, I'll allow myself to just be that child with them. I think we can sometimes get caught up as being adults that we forget to play. And I feel like there's so much healing and when you're just being silly, and I think now that comes out a lot in our social media, we don't do takes and takes and takes of the dances. It's usually rough around the edges, but I feel like that's where the the thing is, nothing's ever meant to be perfect. We're not dancers, no, we're dancers. And I think that's the fun part about it. Maya can be like, can we record this? And she'll be like, right, you do this and you do this and give it a go. And you'll probably see in the videos, not everybody might be in sync. Not everybody might be looking at the camera, but we're still creating memories. And I think that's what I've really, really taken away from mum passing. Just live in those moments that isn't just about working to live, um, or living to work, whatever way you say it. And just kind of like being able to laugh at yourself. And, and I think coming from the African culture, there are certain things that you should share, you shouldn't share. And there are certain, I mean, based on their standards. And I'm proudly African, but there are things generationally as well that I think that I've learned to kind of be like, look, we're a mix of cultures. The children have been brought up in the Western world. I'm proudly African. They eat African food. They understand a bit of the language. I'm fluent in it. But there is so much when it comes to sharing that culture in a way when it doesn't feel like you have to live it by the rules that previously had been lived, you know, like you can change um, roles in the home. You can, it doesn't have to be like the woman's, you know, there's so much around that that I feel like we've been able to do, but it's been the freedom of just being like, you know what, life is too short. We're not living this life for anyone else. We're living it for us and we're wanting to leave a legacy for our children. And in that way as well, like, it's just about living life with love you know and not everybody else will match that love that you show and whatever but if you can know that you've done it from the kindness of your heart and my mum was super kind she would never walk past anyone and be like look at and even when I was like 16 I'd be like mum look at that lady's shoes my mum would turn around to me and it sticks to me she went that's someone's sister that's someone's auntie that's probably someone's mum someone's friend so just remember and it stays with me now that I would never look at someone and just like you know you know when you're when you're a teenager and you just kind of find everything funny she'd always bring me back to remembering to just show kindness and not just like no reason to kind of laugh at other people because like, and 
I feel like that's how we're raising Maya to really know when to celebrate other people and not to make it about herself, to normalise, like, just listening to other people and being able to make space for other people and not feel like it always has to be about you. And I think I definitely, it's changed me because I think back now to how would mum have approached the situation? Well, when she wasn't, when she was around, you probably wouldn't think about that as much. And now it's like, it's really, really funneled into the way I, I, I mother, into the way I'm friends to people. And, and yeah, that's, it's a been a huge impact. Isn't that, a, that's a beautiful way of continuing a, a legacy as well, isn't it? You know, that sort of, because that's a, a positive way of channeling that love that you had for your mum into your family um you know and I, I I try and do it with Otis and Thea as well and and I think as well it's you know making sure that they're relevant in everyday conversations you know if I talk about my dad the things we used to do when we were younger and and um and and that kind of make, continues his name with everything that we do with my with my children instead of just sort of being someone that died when I was younger you know it means he's still present and and I think yeah, everything you just said about that and and uh, the way that you do it with your kids is is lovely. I'm just wondering whether over the last couple of years you've maybe, you know, you've got any coping tips or tools that have helped you. You know, maybe if you're having a difficult day, whether it's exercise, TikTok. <laughs> but yeah, have you got anything that's helped you? Do you know what? Music. Like, I love creating random playlists for moments. Like, so... Whether it's a playlist for the school run, I have one. Whether it's a playlist for bath time, we have one. Whether it's a playlist for Friday evenings, we have one. And there's a playlist that I created, which is all about remembering mum. And you know what? There are days that playlist will make me cry. And there are days that playlist will absolutely just fill me with joy. And But everything just commemorates her memory, whether it's Westlife that she loved on there, like um, from like a couple of hymns. I feel like music just has a great way to really either to really soothe your mood. Um, And that's what really helps exercise. Oh, gosh. Yeah. When I do do it, I mean, I, I go on and off with it. I like to skip quite a bit I used to play tennis hopefully as a as some of the sun comes out a bit but that always helps me like even if it isn't I'm feeling sad with like grief and stuff if I'm just feeling do you know sometimes you don't even know it's grief until like a couple of days afterwards why am I feeling that way why am I just really distant or why am I snapping and then you that something around that time or it would have been something you would have usually done or Easter's coming up and and then you're like ah oh, that's what it was kind of thing so it's like picking up on those sorts of mood switches and finding what your triggers are and equally what your what the solution are is for those triggers and for me music is definitely number one and exercise would be number two yeah no I think they're two great things um okay moving into can you share three things that make you smile when you think of your mum? <laughs> the fact that she never, ever changed the lipstick. Well, she took it, but I mean, she wore the same colour lipstick every single time she decided to wear lipstick. And I'd always try and get her to try a different colour, but she would never. And I still have like two colours, which are the same colours in the handbag they gave me at the hospital. It's in the wardrobe. And she just always wore the same lipstick. I'm like, mum, you have to switch it up a little bit. Like, you can't always have this colour. She's like, no, this is what I like. I found what suits me. I'm not changing it. Um, 
and that that was definitely something that makes me smile. Um, when I listen to um, "You Raise Me Up" by um, it is Westlife, isn't it? You raise, yeah, that song makes me smile because Mum used to belt that out at the top of her voice in the kitchen, and she'd be really going for it. And yeah, so that particular song makes me smile. And <laughs> one thing that ma- majorly makes me smile is she hate she hated being called cute. <laughs> So I would say to her, Mum, you're so cute. And she's like, no, I'm not cute. I'm a grown woman. I, I can't, I'm not cute. And um, yeah, <laughs> it's funny how I didn't really have to think about those three things. But yeah, those are the three things that um, yeah make me smile when I think of Mum. Oh, I love those. Okay, right. We're now moving into some questions from the children at Children's Bereavement Charity, Winston's Wish. Um, the first one is, how do you make yourself feel happy when you're feeling sad? Yeah, I think music, like I said, like a playlist, there is such a mood booster. Um, creating this playlist of happy songs and playlists that take you from that place and just kind of like dancing around the room to that. Even if you don't feel like um dancing, music has a way of doing something to you without you even knowing it's do it's such an emotive trigger. Um and it can take you to a happy place. So definitely say music. Okay, and the next one relates to this as well. It says, what piece of music reminds you of your mum? But I think we've just mentioned, obviously, Westlife. There's the one that, last night a DJ saved my life. That one. She met my dad um, across the disco floor to that song. And initials were actually DJ, which was actually a coincidence. So last night a DJ saved my life. So I remember Westlife number one and maybe that one, yeah. Oh, I love that. Okay. What do you do to remember your mum on important days across the year? We don't do anything specifically. Um, we light a candle, but equally, we just probably talk talk about her and just like tell stories. And Darcy, my husband, was like, I oh, remember when you, yeah, went to that restaurant with your mum and she ordered this and then you ended up swapping. And then, this. like, so we just talk about stories and just like light a candle. But I think I'll have to admit and be completely honest, I tend, I used to tend to ignore it in the lead up to important days, thinking I'm not going to let grief get one over on me this time. And that's, for me, was the wrong thing to do, because then it just hits you on that day as if you've been kind of push, put, resisting the emotion. And then it hits you, so you become so overwhelming. So I've allowed myself now in the like, lead up in the couple of days before to look at pictures, to talk about the story. So as the days approach, it doesn't hit me as in like, oh my gosh, there's, an, oh, there's a surge of emotions on that particular day. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. I think, yeah, for many years, I, I didn't embrace it either. And I'd kind of ignored it and sweeped it under the carpet. But um, yeah, I'd, now I try and sort of, focus in and do something special which which does help actually like you just said okay what three things are you most thankful for at the moment I'm thankful for the family um because they bring me so much joy um I'm thankful for being able to use our platform to have meaningful conversations as well as what someone referred us to to us as the other day being professional joy bringers so being able to kind of share our our family on a platform and kind of encourage people to kind of understand that like 
there is so much opportunity and we're not, we don't want to be idolized. We just want to bring people in. We want people to get involved, do the same things we're doing um, and kind of inspire people just by being ourselves and not having to kind of like put anything on. So that's what I've said, like being able to have a family and instant audience of people who kind of cheer us on and support us. I'm so thankful for that audience. Um, and the third thing, what am I thankful for? Um, do you know what? It's going to be a strange one, but I'm actually thankful that we had the time over lockdown to, for a lot of us to kind of reassess certain situations and find the simple things that really do bring us joy. Um, I'm thankful that we're now coming out of that season. And as we're all trying to get back to whatever normal is, I'm thankful that a lot of us have come out of it as kind of, what is it like that? I feel like we've been through that cocoon phase, haven't we? Where we've been locked up and we're now just like, and it's the season of spring. And I'm thankful for that sort of emergence of like how people are now kind of looking at how to be kind to people and just like seeking positivity. I've seen so many um, public figures, celebrities and everything. And the change that I've even seen on their platforms and just making themselves more accessible and just not trying to like distance. There's been so much like it's been hard, but I'm thankful for the change that a lot of us experience. And whilst I acknowledge that it's been a difficult time and I always want to kind of put this out there, like with like COVID and people being like ill and stuff, I feel like there is a side where we've really learned to see what really matters and not to take things for granted, like a simple hug, like a, are you okay? And not just glazing over it, but more listening to what people say and kind of listen for cues. No, that person's not okay. And, just being less self-absorbed, um, I feel. Um, yeah, I don't know if you agree. <laughs> no, I, t- I totally agree. And I think through, you know, when you think about this time last year when we were just going into lockdown and and uh, I was talking to Simone about this the other day and how, you know, I mean, her mindset is obviously totally different to mine, but sort of that feeling of panic, a little bit of fear as to, you know, the unknown and what we're going to be doing and, and the kids being at home and, homeschooling and you know and it just being a really scary time and then you know like you said over the last year and then coming into spring and I, I I view it like you do you know spring is always just that season of hope and 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 how it's just an opportunity or it's been an opportunity to just to see things slightly differently and and and, and love people that little bit harder you know and and I have appreciated, although at times not, <laughs> being with the family and being with the kids and just having that quality time and, you know, being able to just do those little things. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you on that one. Um, okay, my last question is, and it can be a little bit of a difficult one, but if you could sit down with your mum for one last time, what do you think you might like to say to her? Gosh, this one, yeah, this one's a hard one. This one's a hard one. I think, gosh, it's a hard one. And I'll give you some context around it. After mum passed away, and I'm not sure if you've experienced similar, kind of find out things that you didn't know when they were here. And some of your listeners might have found that out as well, that may have, they may, that may attempt to change how you think about how that person was during certain situations. And I received an anonymous letter after mum passed and it broke me it challenged everything it kind of 
turned everything upside down in terms of like how happy I always felt she was. Um, and I think one thing I would say to her, going back to your question, is like, why did she never put her own happiness first? And it would be, I guess it would be linked to the fact that like, did she feel like she had to protect us um, from things that she kind of sacrificed her own own happiness um for a lot of things I, I'm not sure if it without kind of deep digging too deep to the point where I'm going to be sat here in a pool of tears I think it would be a questions around like her her own happiness like why did she never put her own happiness first and um, yeah like I wish I could have seen things or noticed things or um kind of because I've always been the the one who will like call things out and I feel like from what the letter said I missed quite a few things and I felt really um upset that the people who did know didn't kind of help her so um it goes deep <laughs> it's a big one it is and I, you know, I always say for every interview, you know, our grief is individual. We we live with it in our own way. We wear it in our own way. And um, Ola, I just want to say a huge thank you for speaking with me today and being so honest and sharing your story with the listeners and myself. And um, yeah, do you want to take an opportunity to remind people where they can find you and um, and and watch your amazing family TikTok? <laughs> Thank you, Mark. I really appreciate because, like you say, these conversations, although they are tough, I feel like I'm going to probably come off this and breathe out. It's almost like the conversation I never knew I needed at this point. Um, so first of all, thank you for that. And thank you to everyone listening. Um, uh, so where you can find us, you can find Ola Pello, so O-L-A underscore Pello, P-E-L-O on Instagram. And on everywhere else, we're pretty much the Pelo fam. Um, the Pelo, P-E-L-O fam. Um, and we're not really active on YouTube as of yet. It's, um, I guess we're kind of like, we do a lot more of the snappy short content on stories and stuff. Um, but yeah, TikTok and Instagram, that's where you'll find us um, mostly. Okay, and I'll put um, links in the um, show notes so people can click those and, and find you that way. But um, yeah, thank you so much again, Ola. Uh, it's been an amazing conversation.